Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. You know, it is almost time for you to don your ugly sweater. Yes, it's almost Christmas time or whatever time you may celebrate. For us, it's Christmas, and we think ugly sweaters are best when they are adorned with, yeah, that's right, dead presidents. <laughs> it may be cold outside, but it warms our hearts every time we see each other wearing one of our ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts because let's just face it the holidays are much better when you have one yeah so keep a lookout for some tweets and posts and stuff like that and you can look on our website to see last year's shirts and they'll be available again this year but don't forget that it's a new year so that means we're gonna have some new designs coming for you and we want your input yeah so for crying out loud hop on over to twitter instagram what's that other one facebook something like that yeah, that's right. Yeah, go on there. Don't go on MySpace because we won't check that. I don't think I've ever been on MySpace. And let us know what you want to see on your best friend or maybe even yourself this holiday season. Yeah, and you don't have to limit it to presidents. That's certainly uh, you know one of our specialties here at Election College. But if it's a historical figure, American preferably, we would be willing to consider it. And we'll make a final decision on those very soon and get those shirts out for you to buy for yourself, all your favorite relatives and friends as well. Uh, we know you want to be rocking an ugly Christmas sweater t-shirt and uh, so do your friends. So go ahead and let us know what you want to see and keep an eye out. This is just kind of a teaser. Election College episode number 231. Mary Todd Lincoln. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. You know, Jason, Mary Todd Lincoln gets a lot of flack because well she was she was she had a couple issues and she uh she had a right to though and we're going to talk about mary's early life some of the the reasons that maybe you know she had some uh some issues during life and uh just how her story develops yeah ben as i've been researching this there's part of me that is just like Oh my goodness, you are a spoiled brat. And then on the other end of the spectrum, oh my goodness, you have had a lot of horrible things happen in your life. And can't we cut this lady a break? But you could probably spin any of our life stories <laughs> into being a big positive or a big negative or something in between. So this is going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because... As I was concluding my research, which is it ever finished, as I was approaching the microphone tonight, I feel really sympathetic towards her. Yeah, that's for sure. So we'll start out with uh, her birth. Mary was born in Lexington, Kentucky, not too far from you, Jason. Yeehaw! And yeah, she had six other siblings. She was the fourth. And uh, her father was Robert Smith Todd. He was a banker. And her mother was Elizabeth Parker Todd. And uh, her family, they had slaves, and um, you know Mary, like Jason said, was kind of a spoiled brat. She uh, she was raised in, uh, you know, basically 
luxury. Her family was wealthy. They had uh, slaves. They had uh, all the accessories and the accoutrements that you could desire as a, uh, a Southern family. Yeah. And so you're thinking, oh my goodness, her parents enslaved human beings. And you would be absolutely correct. Um, but to tell the other end of the spectrum or the story, as it were, when she was six years old, her mom dies. And when she's like eight years old, or maybe seven years old, her dad gets remarried to a lady named Betsy Humphreys. Ben, they have nine kids together. So yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean that's got to be kind of weird, you know. Even though you're so young, there's this lady who's not your mom, and she's got a lot of kids with your dad. I don't know. Yeah, and they, they didn't really get along that well. I mean, they had kind of a difficult relationship, and uh, you can imagine any relationship's different when you're, um, you know, part of a 16 child mixed kind of family. Uh, but Mary and her mother Betsy, or her stepmother Betsy didn't really get along all that great. So uh, there is, uh, in, in 1832, basically, uh, they moved into the Mary Todd Lincoln House, which is still standing in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, it's kind of a historic landmark at this point. And it's got 14 rooms. It's a it's still a big house. Uh, it's right on uh, Main Street there in Lexington. And again, it's kind of a luxurious place. Yeah, just the fact that she comes from a long line of people who were well-known. You can trace her lineage back all the way back to Ireland and Scotland and England. And so because of this pedigree that she had or carried, I don't know what what you say. You don't really have a pedigree, do you? Kind of carry carry it. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't know because I'm just... Um, an amalgamation of Scots Irish redneck, <laughs> <laughs> but um, she was sent to a finishing school, and there she learned how to speak French and studied dance and drama, how to be a young lady of that era. And by the age of twenty years old, she was very well known as being witty and gregarious, and she was well spoken in politics. Uh, she was a Whig, uh, which is fascinating because her family had slaves, so very much a, a Southern-type uh, Whig. And down the street from her was our buddy, Henry Clay. So she even had interactions with him uh, from time to time. Yeah, so she moved with her sister, Elizabeth, to Springfield, Illinois in 1839. And uh, Elizabeth was married to the son of a former governor. And he actually acted as Mary's guardian because, of course, uh, you know, she was still young at that time and her parents were not with her. So she had a guardian, which was actually her brother-in-law. And, uh, you know, the gentlemen in town in Springfield, they liked her. Uh, they thought she was uh, she was cute and, and, you know, interesting for sure. So uh, she had a lot of suitors, I guess you could say. And one of them is none other than Mr. Stephen A. Douglas. We've talked about Stephen Douglas many times and had some interactions, of course, with her future husband, Abraham Lincoln, who, by the way, was the right party for her to marry. He was also a Whig. Exactly. They had a Whig party. <laughs> Halloween's coming up. I'm going to be wearing an awesome wig, by the way. 
I can't wait I for no you idea to what see I'm it, Ben. <laughs> it's killer. I might even have to share it with our audience because nice. next week I'm going to be rocking it. Anyway, not, that is not a clue. I'm not going to be a rock star, but I am going to be a rock star because I'm going to look Some awesome. people could say you it's a rock star. Yes. You know who it is. Anyway, so Mary and Abe, they get married in 1842. And we talked a bit about their courtship. They're on and off again, courtship. But uh, just know that they did it. They tied the knot. And this was at her sister Elizabeth's house there in Springfield. And she was 23 years old and he was 33 years old. How about we dive right in, Ben, about the kids that they had? Because this is pretty relevant, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Robert Todd Lincoln, he eventually became the Secretary of War, and he witnessed, of course, his father's assassination, and he was also there for Garfield's assassination. So, he saw a lot. He is the only Lincoln child who outlived Mary, and... A lot of us will remember Willie, who actually died of typhoid fever uh, while Lincoln was the president. Proceeded before him, uh, passing away was Eddie, who died of tuberculosis actually in the year that Willie was born in 1850. And then Tad uh, died at the age of 18 years old. Jason, this is... Kind of related, but not entirely. Did you see recently the picture of the man who was who was a descendant of Abraham Lincoln? He's like his great 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 grandson or something like that. They basically took like a picture of his face and cut it in half, and then took a picture of Lincoln's face and cut it in half and put them together. It's uncanny how much similarity there is. And oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it is crazy. They they do look a lot a lot like it's actually his grandnephew or something like that okay, because yeah. uh robert todd i think had a daughter um the lineage ended i think in the 80s okay something okay. like that but yeah it is uncanny how uh, the resemblance there and my goodness it's kind of creepy yeah that was free folks that wasn't part of the episode not if you're in the Lincoln family, you're probably thinking, that's pretty attractive. He's a <laughs> fine-looking man. How would that be? Like, what would your childhood be like? Like, yeah, my great-great-great-great-great-uncle was Abraham Lincoln. And all the other kids in class are like, nah, man, you're a liar. Let's give him a wedgie. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because I think a quarter of the population of Kentucky claims to be a descendant of Daniel Boone. Uh-huh. And it, That's possible. And there's that jealousy factor. And then it's like, well, I'm related to, I don't know, Chief Sitting Bull or something, <laughs> which was a legend in our family then. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. But then Honest Abe, he was from Kentucky and nobody claims to be related to him. Weird. Actually, some people do. Like that guy <laughs> who looks like him. So Lincoln, over the years, Mr. Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Mary's husband, starts pursuing his career as a lawyer there in Springfield. And uh, while he's doing that, Mary is at home. She's taking care of the household. She's taking care of the kids. Uh, she's there, um, you know, for 
the long haul. Uh, they were there in Springfield until 1861, and they moved away, and uh, that is where the Lincoln Home National Historic Site is, and it's still standing. You can go and see it. Uh, you know, it's just a little house, but they live there. And um, whenever Lincoln would go out, occasionally uh, when he was a, a lawyer, uh, he was a circuit lawyer, and that meant basically he would travel a, a circuit of areas and um, basically answer questions and help people with cases and stuff like that. And Mary would get home, get left at home alone with the kids and the house and everything else for like months at a time where she, you know, there was no FaceTime, there were no cell phones, text messages. He would just go and she would be left alone with the kids. Yeah. Interestingly enough, too, Springfield was not the capital of Illinois when Abe was serving in the legislature. So there was some distance there, too. It's kind of, I cannot remember the name of the town, and somebody's going to be like, I'm from there. How can you forget? <laughs> uh, um, but you can visit the old capital in Illinois that's not in Springfield. Uh-huh. I think there's actually a couple of old capitals. But anyway, fascinating to go in there and and see where Lincoln actually was a representative, a state rep. And uh, yeah, Mary was at home and she was working hard. And uh, there, there's one little thing about Mary Todd Lincoln that this would probably be a good place to mention it. She did not go by Mary Todd Lincoln. She was Mary Lincoln. She, That's right. She didn't dig the whole call me Todd. <laughs> she, <laughs> she was Mary Lincoln. So um it's kind of like when you get to Theodore Roosevelt, don't call him Teddy. Yeah. Uh, don't call him Teddy. And don't call Mary Todd Lincoln, Mary Todd Lincoln. She's Mary Lincoln. So interestingly enough, during the time where she was in the White House, and of course this was when Lincoln got elected in, in 1860, and shortly thereafter, of course, they move into the White House. Uh, things aren't always perfect for the First Lady. Uh, certainly no political figure's wife is going to have it easy, but... Mary had it pretty difficult. She was not only from a place where slavery was permitted, but several of her half-brothers, remember she had the uh, stepmother who bore children along with her father, they were actually in the Confederate Army, and they were some of them were killed in action. One of them served as a surgeon in the Confederacy. So you have to imagine that this would have weighed heavy on her as she knows her husband is in charge of making sure the country stays together. She understands the war must be fought, but at the same time, she's got brothers who, you know, even though they weren't full brothers, you have to imagine she cared about, uh, that were being killed by the, basically the commands of her husband. Yeah. And keep in mind also that she and Abe are considered to be the first Westerners to occupy the white house. So this really caught the Washington scene off guard a little bit because, you know, Mary is perceived as being coarse and pretentious and she wasn't all about the social graces that would normally um, be attended to in that culture. So um, there she is. She's in Washington. She's a Westerner. She's different. And she goes about redecorating the White House and she's spending a lot of money. She's like taking the JCPenney catalog and saying, I want that, I want that, I want that and that. And oh, by the way, it wasn't the JCPenney catalog. But this kind of made her husband pretty upset. 
And it also made the people in Washington go, girl, you are a wartime first lady and you're spending a lot of money. Stop it. Yeah, it got to the point where Congress actually had to pass an additional, uh, two additional appropriations to make sure that these expenses were covered. So apparently it wasn't just like a one-time credit card swipe. It was uh, a pattern. Uh, Mary had some health issues, and some of them were pretty severe headaches. She suffered from migraines throughout her whole life and uh, also suffered from depression. And her headaches actually got worse because at one point there was a um, a carriage accident she was involved in, and this is while she's at the White House. And you know that doesn't help things. She's I mean she's got this history of depression. She's got mood swings. She has a temper. Uh, she just can't really usually hold her tongue uh, whenever she thinks something uh, during Lincoln's presidency. And so they uh, you know this isn't this wasn't necessarily a. a stated fact then, but a lot of historians and people who have studied her, psychologists and the like, think that she may have suffered from bipolar disorder. And uh, uh, it certainly could be explained that, um, you know, some of her excessive behavior and and some of the stranger things she did came as a result of uh, different types of mental illness. And of course, they didn't have the resources we have now to help with some of those things. And I'm sure many of them being undiagnosed even adds to it more. So people see her and see her acting this way. And then, of course, they act different ways to her because of that, which then just probably gets in her head and creates the situation to be even worse than it is. So you can imagine that um, uh, it was quite a difficult time for both Mary and Abe. Yeah. Uh, here in the modern times, um, Dr. John Sotos, he is a a physician. He's a medical historian. It was kind of interesting. I, I read an article on, I think it was CNN.com, uh, where he was talking about her her symptoms were right in line with somebody who was um, diagnosed with um, pernicious anemia. And I think it was in like the 1920s or 1930s, they took individuals that were having a lot of these symptoms that Mary Lincoln had and they gave them liver and they would eat liver. And when you know it in a couple of weeks, they were just fine. So there was some sort of deficiency with uh, red blood cells way above my pay grade <laughs> Ben, um, <laughs> for that. But there seems to be enough evidence to, diagnose her with this kind of anemia and had she had the proper nourishment she would have been a lot better off so that's kind of where i left off with some of my research where i'm just like oh my goodness your your body is struggling to survive you're gonna have these episodes but she um in the midst of all of this she was still going out and visiting soldiers out on the battlefield she would write letters for them um, so they could send these letters to their loved ones. And she really got her hands dirty uh, during the wartime. Even though we see the sight of her of, of being a big spender, uh, she did go outside of, of the confines of the White House. The Civil War is over and the nation is at peace or as much as at peace as you can be after having a civil war. And in 1865, she and Abraham Lincoln go to see our American cousin at Ford's Theater. And of course, this is the last time they will ever be together while he's alive uh, because he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. 
And so, um, you know, they were actually there together. They just had a, a small conversation. Uh, she is holding Abraham Lincoln's hand when uh, he's he's struck, when, when Abe is struck, and she accompanies him over to the Peterson house where they, um, you know, lay him and, and the cabinet comes and he eventually passes away. Uh, Robert Lincoln's there as well. And um, Mary is so stricken with grief at different points, which anyone would be, uh, that she was actually ordered to leave the room and stay away. So uh, she, at this point, really suffers with a lot of grief, a lot of the same issues, the depression, the uh, the potential bipolar disorder, the potential anemia uh, that we know so well that plagues her. She's lost children. She's lost two children at this point. Uh, she's lost her husband uh, and has had to to battle with many different issues in her life. So we start to see um, a lot different personality come out of Lincoln. I think a lot of us have heard that story about how uh, Stanton, the Secretary of War, Stanton ordered Mary to leave the room as she was unhinged with grief. And But what happens to Mrs. Lincoln? And I didn't hear a lot about this or read a lot about this recently, but I think she had even a difficult time leaving the White House. Uh-huh. And uh, after she does finally leave the White House, she goes to Chicago to live with her sons. And several years later, her son, Tad, passes away in 1871. And this just brings her into a, even more of a depression. And Robert, who is her only surviving son, is now a Chicago lawyer. And he's like, oh my goodness, my mom is just not acting normal. She's crazy. Um, she was visiting Jacksonville, Florida in 1875 And she was thinking, oh my goodness, Robert is deathly ill. So she hurries back to Chicago and there he is. He's healthy. She's like, hey, Robert, somebody tried to kill me on the train and somebody tried to steal my pocketbook. And she's walking around the city with $56,000 in government bonds sewn into her petticoat. And she's walking around just haphazardly with this robert's like i'm gonna send her to an institution and in 1875 following a trial a jury commits her to an asylum in batavia illinois so while she's there she is so despondent that she attempts suicide Uh, she had gone and asked pharmacies for enough laudanum to kill herself but um you know there were there were doctors and pharmacists in place that kind of recognized things and and gave her placebo instead. So soon after she is, you know, in Bellevue Place, uh, Robert, her son, is really hoping to avoid some public embarrassment. You know, he's a political figure. His mother is the wife of a dead president. And so he really wants to make sure that some of these things kind of stay under wraps a little bit. And so he ends up letting her go. Uh, letting her out of the asylum to go to Springfield to live with Elizabeth again. And so Mary gets released to go live with her sister in Springfield. And uh, in 1876, they declare her competent enough to manage her own affairs. And she and Robert are kind of estranged from each other at this point. They're not very close, especially after he has her committed to an insane asylum. And 
they don't see each other again until shortly before she dies. The next several years, she's actually going around Europe and lives in France. And while there and in subsequent years, she has severe cataracts that really affect her eyesight. And she starts falling um, probably because of that. Um, in 1879, she suffers a spinal cord injury um, because she fell from a stepladder. And in 1881, uh, she's in New York and she's lobbying for an increased pension after President Garfield was assassinated. She saw that, hey, I was having a difficult time. His family is probably having a difficult time. So let's do something about this. And um, Congress says, okay. Here's some additional money. And she goes back to Springfield. And by the time July 1882 rolls around, she's there at her sister's house. And she lapses into a coma and dies at the age of 63. Yeah, they ended up uh, interring her in the Lincoln tomb in the Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield, right there beside her husband. So yeah, yeah, Jason, so, just a... A crazy kind of life, um, you know, from from riches to rags, essentially, even though she was worried about poverty, it never came upon her. Uh, many different problems in her life that, you know, would have may, have anyone kind of shaken emotionally. And um, it's it's really hard to know how much of Mary Lincoln's issues were because of. Uh, basically, you know, nature and nurture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really think she was just trying to do the best um, with what she had. I mean, she was definitely seeking <laughs> late in life. Yeah. Um, you know, with all of these tragedies, she was, you know, speaking, seeking spiritualists and and the sort, and just really, um, really struggling to try to figure things out, and. Um, can kind of get it. So let us know what you think of Mary Todd Lincoln. Mary, don't call me Todd Lincoln. Um, We'd love to hear what you um, have come across and some of your thoughts about what it might be like for somebody in her condition in this day and age. She obviously would have received better treatment uh, than what she did in the 1860s through 1880s, but also her legacy. What what does her legacy mean to you? We always love a good anecdote. Yeah, for sure. We also love it when people go and leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. It helps other people know if they want to listen to the show as well. So if you haven't left your review, we're just asking you a simple question. What are you waiting on? Come on. Go ahead. It's fine. Just head over to iTunes. It won't take you very long. Even if you don't use iTunes, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a review there because that is kind of the mecca of iTunes reviews. iTunes, obviously. Yeah, and for crying out loud, share with us uh, your favorite people that you would like to see on an Ugly Christmas sweater t-shirt we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Definitely want to hear from you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. 
Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.